Hey guys, this is Dylan with Art of the Float. We've got a cool episode for you coming up. We've got Juliet on talking about the float industry report. 95, 96 pages. We'll find out how long it is in this episode. I'm here with Sandra, my wife, and my baby. Uh, we just got back from the gym, so we're going to carb load with some beer immediately, like we do. Sandra, why are you enjoying home? I hear about it from you a lot. <laughs> What am I? What am I hearing over and over again? Well, you are hearing uh, how easy it has been for us to get this process going. We put off uh, getting started with Helms for so long, but really there was no reason. I felt that maybe it was going to be a big, challenging process to transition over, but uh, as it turns ah! out, um, every step of the way, I've had help from um, Ben, Danica, and Danielle. They've been absolutely awesome. It's really hasn't been that complicated. So here we are ready to go live in just two weeks. And I cannot wait. There's going to be so much, so much good that comes from switching over to home, finally. And I wish it was tomorrow. Well, I uh, can't say anything better than that. Yeah, the transition has been awesome. And she's right, like the delay was just like our anxiety about switching over, but uh, it was all yeah. unnecessary. Floathelms.com is where you want to go to check it out and schedule a tour. And uh, now we're going to go carb load. Welcome to another episode of Art of the Float. This is Dylan. I own the float shop in Portland, Oregon, and I... I think I downloaded my first industry report for the floats industry in 2014. And for me, honestly, it was, is this the right industry? Do I have a chance of staying open down the line? Um, are other people actually interested in this? Uh, or, or is this just gonna be one, two float centers open and then nothing else happens? So that's where my curiosity came from. And I'm Kim Hannon. I own Sukino Float Center in Salt Cave in Southern Indiana. Um, I first downloaded a float uh, state of the industry report in 2015 um, for the first kind of glance about what on earth is this. In 2016, it helped us uh, really solidify that this is something we wanted to do. And then eventually we used it to actually secure funding and uh, it helped to prove there's some validity to this industry that nobody around here had heard of um, so i am super grateful for all the work that's gone into uh, compiling that report otherwise i don't know if we would be open wow and this is drew kane aka drew jitsu online and i own new hampshire float and i first downloaded the industry report uh, in 2018 and I did it because I'm a voyeur and I like to see what's going on with the industry and kind of take a peek nice. and hopefully it was good news and I feel like it was so yeah uh, that's where I'm at with the industry report I like to see make sure things are going well you know awesome true the professional and the voyeur the professional voyeur that's fantastic Excellent. that's a whole episode of its own <laughs> yeah that's a whole different podcast yeah uh but uh I'm really excited. We're uh, bringing on Juliet Milan, Supreme Flow Historian, on tonight, uh, who <laughs> has worked feverishly on the industry report. And not only, you know, uh, okay, answer the questions, and I'm just going to put this in a spreadsheet and do some graphs. It's been broken down. I believe the total is 96 pages uh, for this year's report, and she'll correct me, I'm sure. Uh, but 
95. Oh, wow. Well, hopefully next year we can bump that up a little bit. Um, but <laughs> Juliet, thank you <laughs> so much for high. being with us tonight. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. And, and thank you for, for doing all the work that goes into this. Uh, before we get into the numbers and, and breaking down some of these interesting facts and factoids, can you tell me a little bit about how you uh, became the one <laughs> to be carrying this torch and, and how you approach uh, this survey, getting the information and breaking down the numbers? Uh, well, I largely do this in collaboration with, with Graham uh, Talley of Float Tank Solutions. Maybe you've heard of him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it, and for him, it was very much a passion project. And when I came on to Float Tank Solutions, I was sort of begrudgingly brought in to help out with this because it was a lot of work and <laughs> he needed some help just like crunching numbers and like putting stuff together in spreadsheets. And as the years have gone on, uh, I've taken uh, more and more responsibility for it. I have a, I'm, I'm very protective of it, I would say. Hmm. I try to present meaningful and useful information as impartially as possible, and I think that I'm uniquely positioned to do so because I don't, um, I don't own a float center, I guess, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. part of it. And what do you want people, when you hit that send button, or, you know, maybe you're not hitting the button, but when you realize mm -hmm. that's going to go out to everybody, all 95 pages of it, a lot of information that you've compiled, made it into very easy to digest graphs and literature, what is the major takeaway you want people to, to walk away with, with this report? Well, I hope that it's a useful snapshot of the industry so that people can have a sense of how much work goes into running a float center, mm. what some of the things that they can expect. And I think for existing float centers, it's useful to know that uh, they're not alone in some of the challenges that they have or if they are sort of on the opposite end of the bell curve that they are maybe can course correct and, and get to mm -hmm. focusing on some of the same problems that everyone else is focusing on. Mm. Uh, additionally, what we really hope is that people outside the industry can see this and recognize that the industry as a whole is, uh, is larger than what people think it is. Oh, cool. Nice. That's a nice, real simple, yet really important takeaway. Yeah. Um, speaking of course directions, uh, one of the things that comes to mind is you, you list what people are charging uh, for, say, a 60 or a 90 minute float. Somebody might not be charging enough or be charging way too much, wondering where is everybody? And it's really nice to see what, what everybody just, what are the norms? What are the trends here? Right. Well, and it's kind of a funny thing with, with this report, everything should be taken with a with a large grain of, of Epsom salt, mm -hmm. uh, maybe a fifty pound bag. <laughs> That's <laughs> nice. the smallest unit that float centers <laughs> right. deal in. Um, and it's 
it's all self-reporting data and there is there is a fair amount of selection bias because they're mm. people that are coming to us to answer these questions so it's not it, it's not a hundred percent accurate view of sure. the industry as a whole mm. and um, can you can so you tell me oh sorry go ahead uh, I'm just gonna say so like it, it's important to keep those things in mind when looking at the report and we try to be very candid about that when when we're bringing it together but you've you've done some things to uh kind of correct for that a little bit can you tell me about that uh well we've this year we've added a couple of new sections one of the ones that we did is a cross-year analysis between some of the most common questions that we ask for existing centers as well as prospective centers. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that we've done is we've added uh, data collected directly through FloatHelm, and we've put that together and, uh, and made some graphs out of that. And that is probably some of the most accurate data we've ever collected because right. it's not dependent on self-reporting. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and I will just do a little asterisk there and say that those people have given you permission to do that. That is that is a yes. choice. Not just <laughs> yeah. because you're signed up for FlowHelm doesn't mean that your data is open. No, we we had a double opt in and we anonymized all of the data. So uh, even even when putting it together, it was uh, we had had uh, um, sort of like scrambled. Uh, code to identify centers so as not to mm. create this idea and each piece of, uh, uh, of data that we collected was was separate from every other piece you couldn't like build a trend on something mm -hmm. and it was really important for us to maintain um, anonymity with these responses especially yeah. the home data because we don't want to have any bias even when putting the data Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, I do want to give space for, for Drew and Kim to ask questions. So Drew, please. I have a couple of things. Um, Juliet, <laughs> what yeah. have you noticed that you has changed over the time from mm. uh, 2014 to now? And as kind of uh, add on to that, how now that it's 95 pages, how has the progression of questions changed and what is the process of adding those questions in? <laughs> well, uh, in part, our data collection has gotten a lot better. Uh, and a lot of that is just trial and error. Or, uh, um, it's our, our first year of putting together the report, we had a lot of non-specific ranges so it would be things like instead of saying i have uh, this many tanks it would be like i have this range of tanks and so now it's it's specific hmm. and oh, okay. we've added we've added questions we always take uh, questions and responses from the the report and and we try to take uh, everything that we receive, the feedback that we get, and, and incorporate it into the next year. Um, and we're always just learning lessons about what questions yield useful data and what don't. 
kind of learned pretty quickly that uh, people aren't able to uh, accurately gauge their uh, sort of like population density of, of their of the area that they live. Oh, wow. So we have to scrap answers and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a, a lot of it has been about just sort of making sure that we're asking the most useful questions and we also don't want to overburden the people responding to these surveys right because <laughs> it can be a lot of questions so a couple of years ago we decided to add on a, an expanded questionnaire for existing centers which for people who have answered this survey probably be familiar with Basically, after you finish the basic questionnaire, it goes into more detailed questions. And that's sort of where we experiment a little bit more with some of those questions. And every year we found uh, some of those questions that we incorporate into the main survey. And then we add on to the expanded questionnaire. And cool. part of the reason that this year has gotten so big is because we've added the Helm data and a cross-year analysis. So between those two things, we added uh, probably 20 pages. So. I love getting to see that, the, the cross-year analysis, just being able to, to actually start see some trends and, and to mm -hmm. also be able to validate the data to know, okay, well, this year we didn't have as many responses. And right. so, you know, to take that with a grain of, as you, as you said, a grain of salt too. But um, it's really cool just to see those trends and, like, the big years whenever we heard there were so many places opening versus you know all of a sudden it's getting a little bit smaller some places mm -hmm. are closing or um, there aren't as many perspective centers who are responding things like that so um, that yeah. was really helpful and and i think looking at those big trends it it can seem i don't know uh it might paint a different not necessarily accurate picture we saw a huge drop-off in prospective senders responding, but we've also seen a trend of people of, um, seeking outside funding while uh, pursuing centers, and it could be that they're restricted from answering uh, mm -hmm. questions about financial information, and that uh, disqualifies them from answering the survey at all. And so, uh, as opposed to uh, inferring what the absent data says, we try to draw conclusions based on what we have answered and, and the limitations of the answers that we have. And back to uh, Drew's question of, of the trends over time, what are some big takeaways that you found that's been trending? Upwards or downwards? Um, <laughs> well, uh, there, it's uh, some of the things that that we've seen. It's a big question. It's a really big question. <laughs> <Okay>. And it, <laughs> let's take a, a tiny nibble. Let's take a bite-sized. Okay. Nibble. So some of the trends that we've looked at were, especially in the cross-year analysis, we looked at the big trends of like how many tanks people are opening with 
and we saw a huge reduction from the first couple of years to the last four years as to uh, fewer one and two tank centers and a lot more three and four tank centers. And there's almost this sort of like inverse change into what those are. Uh, another another trend that we can state with a fair degree of confidence is people uh, opening with other forms of alternative wellness instead of mm. just ex exclusively floating. Mm -hmm. And more specifically, the rise of infrared saunas with when paired with floating. It's a, if you look at the data, it's a stark increase. And I don't know if that's just like the people who are inclined to include infrared saunas in their centers are also the same people who are inclined to enter our survey. Like, that's a possibility, but I don't think that it's that Yeah, yeah. I, I, we can never say for sure whether that's true or not, but that would seem odd. <laughs> it's it hard, seem hard odd. to figure out why that is, but just, oh, sorry, Ken. Yeah, it's really cool to see the data saying that because I think anecdotally, yes. um, I've heard so many one-off stories of people, and I, I, I've heard it a lot in the Float Collective of, yes. of folks who are saying, you know, you it's hard to survive as a one or two tank center. It's hard to survive with just floating. It's nice to have, and you know, a secondary modality to get people in the door. And um, I mean, I know personally, I've found that to be true, and I've I've also found that you know, if we only had two tanks, like. There would be days when um, it would be hard. You know, we'd lose some folks. So, right. mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, and this is the interesting thing because we see uh, sort of the trend lines when we look at the Helm data, which, again, is probably our most um, – the, the, the data that we have the most confidence in because mm -hmm. it's coming directly from people's centers. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that and compare it to the amount of – um, money they're bringing in per tank. There's a specific sort of curve that we're seeing. And so if you look at that and you say, well, this is how much money a, a single tank can generally bring in, then you can sort of plan for how much money your center can expect to make versus how much it's going to cost to run. Mm -hmm. And so then you see like the, the extreme limitations of a one or two tank center. But again, it could just be that people who have like one or two tanks uh, didn't hear the the responses from other people, like the outside information saying one or two tanks is uh, is really difficult to run and all this sort of stuff. So the 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 bias in in reporting and, and the self selection there's a lot to account for and. I think that those are important things to think about and look at when when we look at the reports. Uh, I try to just be skeptical as much as possible. It it is funny to have you on and like uh, not bashing your own data, but like being very critical of it because you want it to be as honest as possible of what the data is. I I, I like yeah. that a lot. Julia, I have a question for you. The um, yeah. The people who reported into Float Helm, I I have Float Helm, and I don't remember. I may have because just life's been crazy, but I don't remember specifically being asked if I wanted to float or, or opt in. I did have hmm. other emails with Graham, which I expressed that I would be part of that prior to um, that option actually becoming available. So uh -huh. I didn't know, um, or maybe it's just a suggestion. 
I didn't know that information about the anonymity of collecting the data, and I definitely um, would opt in even more so knowing that there was some type of anonymity on there. But is there a way for Float Helm users to just go in and opt in, or do you, you have to be notified? How, how would that work? It was an option specifically on the survey itself, and there was a there was a checkbox, and we did specify specifically that specified specifically we did specify that you would be uh, your data would be anonymized and put in aggregate uh, meaning that it would just be a sort of bulk information instead of specifically your cancer cool. awesome I hope I did it I hope I did <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the really that's the really funny thing about answering um, the survey, you know, especially year after year. I'm like, oh, wait, is that – surely that's what I said. Like, I want to copy last year's responses yes. to make sure that I'm still being accurate, you know. Part of me wants time, to say, pull like, my last one. Right? <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. answer the fresh questions because yeah. I do well, start to forget. Well, that's another thing that is – it's difficult to sort of make any accurate trends about anything with the, with the data because we don't know who's answering these year over year and – um, so it could be that people are only responding to the survey uh, in the first couple of years of being open because then they maybe fall out of, oh. of the communication loop. It yeah. could be that um, maybe they only respond after a couple of years of being open because that's when they feel confident sharing right. the information with the printers, their yeah, agents, yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. The, the self-reporting data especially is... It's, it's difficult to draw meaningful conclusions of, and hopefully it, it does help create sort of more meaningful trends. Like year over year, if these things are consistent, then we can have better confidence in them. Sure. May I ask about, uh, so somebody at the conference uh, was talking to me about how manufacturers might be targeting more hotels um, or universities, basically not opening a float center or a wellness center, but a float tank being an add-on to an existing, like the Hyatt could have one to four float tanks. Uh, yeah. Is that, I mean, is there any way to gather data of, uh, regarding those or are you only going to attempt specifically float centers like us? Uh, well, it depends very much on who answers the survey, mm -hmm. right? Um, if they're answering the survey, then they can absolutely be included in the data. We also have uh, means of qualifying their answers, especially when it comes to financial information, uh, based on how much percentage-wise they're pulling in uh, for their center compared to the float tanks that they have. So um, if we ask, you know, what's, what's your an annual gross revenue for your business? And then we'll say, what percentage of your uh, annual gross revenue comes from floating. Mm -hmm. And then we can sort of weight those answers uh, so that we can have float-specific data. And so if it's we're several not hundred. as this, like, million-dollar one-tank center that's outshining right. everybody else. The Hyatt makes a billion annually, but maybe just a few hundred thousand dollars from the float tanks. Like, that's right. good to be able to weigh against, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting concept, though, Dylan, like just to think about if, if that could be like a subset of data, um, mm -hmm. just where we get to hear from manufacturers, like how many tanks are they selling and, you know, who is their average customer? Um, 
just to understand like where is the industry headed because there's a you know there's a part of me that's like oh god we don't want hotels doing it but that could be a really cool first chance for somebody to get in a tank that they never would before if they're staying in a hotel and then they go back home and look at like where can I float beyond staying at the the Hilton or wherever. I think hotels are a great option for floating and and, you know the first time I heard about this I thought it was silly but Axon says airports Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> Every time I see a yeah. vacant shoebox venue in an airport, I'm like, yeah, we could fit one, two, three float tanks yeah. in here. Wasn't there? Yeah. There's somebody who just got this. Um, I can't remember, but I recently heard about someone who is going to be opening a float tank in an airport, and That's I awesome. can't for the life of me remember who it is. I hope I'm not making it up. But do you know um, which airport? I feel like maybe Chicago. Hmm. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. I don't. Hmm. Trying to think of where my networks are. Um, I, I can't remember, but it's just a, you know, it's a really cool concept. Um, but then again, if you think about how people say they don't have time, they're so rushed and all of this, you know, every day. And then when you're at the airport, to me, that's like magnified rush um, of go, well, go, go. But what delay. if your delayed or okay. you have a yes. layover? Or yeah. If I have a safe yeah. place to put my luggage, I can tell you a float tank sounds great. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Great. Yeah, uh, and, and if, as far as like hotels and all that, I've let go of that fear of like, where's the in- will insurance kill us? Like, how will it, how will the landscape change? F it, <laughs> like I, we'll figure it out. I'm uh, things happen slowly enough as well. Like I'm just I'm over the fear of where the industry is going to go as far as that goes. Yeah, I think it was just you know someone had recently shared uh, a story about uh, I think it was in a hotel where they had float uh, float tanks and uh, they were not well kept. They didn't follow procedures. They didn't have people taking showers beforehand, and so just that level of understanding yeah. the process and you know daily maintenance and what's required. Um, if that you've got some place where it's kind of secondary, mm-hmm. that this is just this thing that's over here, sure, go do it, hop in, and you're mm-hmm. not putting any effort into creating that environment, um, that's the part that's scary. Yeah, uh, I think it's a really cool expansion for the industry, um, and I think, if anything, it would help us to kind of leverage uh, a little bit more for individual centers, but mm-hmm. um, that's where my head goes when I start seeing <laughs> some of this data. That's is, a great point. Huh. If I have a fear for the industry, it's people having bad first experiences and going like, nope, that's not for me. 100%. Yes. As far as more takeaways from from the report, uh, were there any surprises in there where you're like, oh, my gosh, I really didn't see this coming? Uh, Some. Uh, But a lot of stuff that's invisible to the, like, and report. Yeah, and, good. Uh, Let us know. <laughs> this is exactly uh, where you should share it. <laughs> I will. I've been working really hard to try to make the report as international as possible. And uh, so every time that there was an option to report financial information, we allowed an option to uh, put it in non-U.S. currency. <laughs> and it was kind of surprising to see. The lack of people who did that. Um, so we we track uh, location information for where people are responding from, and then um, people will uh, 
put those responses and then answered in, in US a lot of times or um, and, and so it it really kind of muddied the data a lot more than hmm. uh, than clarified it which was kind of my hope I last year we were able to uh, present data on the average cost of floats for the US Canada as well as Oceania uh, Australia and New Zealand so I was really hoping that we would be able to get to do an expansion of that, but uh-huh. we actually had to kind of reduce that a little bit. We only got to do the U.S. and Canada this year because we didn't have enough meaningful data. Interesting. Um, that that actually is a really cool behind-the-scenes share of, of, mm-hmm. of a surprise. I, can I ask, are there, were there any other behind-the-scenes interesting turns like that? Uh, I mean, so many. The, sure. The thing about this report is, like, it takes... It, it, it's just non-stop work for a month and a half but since like as soon as we launch it to mm. uh, bef- right before it, it it is released to the public like it's just there's so much that goes into it and uh, the goal is that none of that is visible and that you just have this nice clean easy to digest report that has all of these very like eye-catching, colorful graphs that you can sort of present and, and, and share. But it's it, it's kind of a challenge every single year putting that together and, and putting forth the best information that we can. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't I don't know that I have other specific examples, but there's a there's a lot. <laughs> I believe you. Uh, where do you... Oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to say, like, the only thing I could say is for anybody who is looking at this and is about to fill out the report in the future, mm-hmm. be sure to be as simple and straightforward when responding to questions as possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> adding extra personal details is not super useful or uh, important. <laughs> <It> just... <laughs> Somebody out there needs to know that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's very funny. More than one person. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I get your message, Julia. <laughs> Dylan. Um, Dylan, I need to see your answers before you click submit, yeah, please. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> um, going forward to next uh-huh. year, uh, what are your plans? Um, I, I do find it interesting that there, there were fewer responses. Will that be impacting how you approach this next year, either – for outreach to try to get more, um, and also just um, as far as newer questions or different data that you're trying to get, what is your vision going forward for this report? Uh, I mean, as far as outreach goes, I think that's kind of an ever-moving target. I think inherently we have to keep changing, Hmm. and the problem with that is that, of course, if we're collecting information from new sources, then that affects the data as well. So, um, not having it be controlled, not having, um, you know, margins of error that we're really calculating for or anything like Mm. that, it's, um, it's, it's not like scientific or like pure statistical data. It's kind of just this best guess. And, uh, Part of that means that we have a little bit of freedom in that we don't 
since we're so far off the mark, you don't necessarily have to try to be as perfectly accurate as possible. So mm -hmm. collecting from different sources is maybe not a problem. Um, we always reach out to our email list. We usually reach out, or almost always reach out, to the Float Collective. And I think that's largely been it. We've, we've done some ads for, for it as well, but otherwise we haven't done a whole lot of outreach. We haven't gone out, sought outside the industry at all. We haven't um, you know, reached out specifically to manufacturers or anything like that. And that might be something we do in the future. Having more results or having more responses generally means better data. The sample sizes that we're looking at are relatively small. Mm -hmm. So getting those larger would be nice and it would remove some ambiguity. Uh, aside from the, the vanity metric thing, which I don't think anybody pays attention to necessarily, of like how many people are responding this year versus mm. this year and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it just more data is, means greater confidence in the results. Sure. Um, as far as expansion goes, I'm pretty confident that we will expand what we're looking for with the helm data as well as mm. the cross-year analysis. Mm -hmm. This this year was sort of a trial run of both of those concepts. Sure. And so I foresee us uh, expanding those quite a bit. Cool. Cool. Drew, go for it. May I? Yes. Uh, Juliet, in your yeah. own words, I know you don't just do the, um, the industry report. You're pretty mm -hmm. tied in with the industry. How would you describe in a few sentences the state of the industry right now, in your opinion? Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually not that tied in to the, the industry. The most attached to the industry that I get is the industry report, and that is kind of inherently impartial. I don't, I, I don't talk to opening centers like the, uh, the salespeople do or like Graham and Ashcon when they're running the apprentices or anything like that. Um, so, in a way, the report is kind of my best guess, uh, like the, the most information I have on the industry. And uh, I honestly don't know. Um, it's it's easy to like make assumptions or draw conclusions from a bunch of different things, and I there there are things that are uh, I don't know like I don't know I, I don't think I, I weirdly don't think that I'm very qualified to answer that question <laughs> even though you asked my opinion. <laughs> oh, you historian trying to f stick to the facts. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. If only all did that. Uh, on that yeah. note, I in in kind of in wrapping things up a little bit, um, I'll I'll say this, and, and Juliet, I'm not even going to give you a chance to correct me on this, which is uh, she is very much so trying to protect the um, sanctity of the data, and also in doing so, trying to be very open about like this isn't a report a published report coming out of LIBOR, right? There, there weren't controls like this is this is very open ended, and she's trying to. Uh, communicate the biases that happen dur during one of these surveys and I respect that a ton and <laughs> on the flip side there is a lot we can glean from this <laughs> there's a reason 
people sift through all these numbers and why Juliet spends you know, a full month and a half diving into this because there is so much value in this. And there's a reason that people are compelled to fill this out every year as well because we feel as a collective, as a, as a community, that there is a reason uh, to contribute and to receive this data. So there is a lot of good that comes to it, even if Juliet's humility is making it perhaps sound a little bit less than like stellar data. It is stellar. It is um, what one can glean from it, be inspired by from it. Those things are stellar, even if it, Steph, go ahead. Well, I, I just want to say every year we want it, we want it to be useful. I just, the, the longer that we go forward putting this together, the the greater our limitations clearly are and mm -hmm. uh, i'm not i'm not a statistician i don't have <laughs> a i i haven't studied this stuff and the more i do it the more i just recognize what i don't know mm. and so asking for for things like my off-the-cuff opinion of <laughs> like it the only thing that I can say with a lot of confidence is that I'm just not sure. And if, if I've been <laughs> kind of critical of the report, it's just because I've, I've spent so much time with, with these numbers mm -hmm. that like, you, can, you can create a story out of anything out of this, right? And hmm. recognizing that as a possibility and, and is... makes me want to make this as, as good as possible so hmm. that people can get the most useful information they can out of it. And that's part of the reason that things like the, the Helm data are really interesting. Like we were able to mm -hmm. look at uh, the slowest months of the year for people and, uh, and, and like what the busiest days of the week were. And I think that those two things are probably some of the most useful, straightforward things that people can find out about this report. It probably would be one of the most inaccurate self-reporting as well, like Actually, over the course yeah. of your year. Um, it's funny because we saw in the self-reporting data, which we've been collecting for years, mm -hmm. uh, what are the slowest months of the year? People always said that, uh, and this is strictly U.S. because those mm. were what we were tracked for. Oh, okay. But um, they said, you know, it was uh, the summer months mm -hmm. going from uh, June, July, and August, basically, mm -hmm. and then in September. And then what we found in the Helm data is that it all kind of levels out. And even hmm. even those supposedly slow months are actually not that slow. Hmm. And what we probably think is happening is that people anticipate those that those slow periods and do things like run sales and right. um, drum up at, like that ad campaigns and that sort my, of That was my first thought is like at this point, now we are preparing for that and trying to mitigate mm -hmm. a disaster. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I just oh. want to throw out to everybody who's listening, you know, we have, there are a lot of longtime centers, and I understand fully that, like, completing this survey year after year may get tedious, especially if you don't feel like you're getting any value from it, mm. if you're, you're already built, you're already accomplished. Um, yes, it helps the whole industry, it helps all of the new centers coming out, but you never know when something's going to happen. Um, maybe you're in an amazing opportunity to expand. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe your center floods and you have to take out a loan. 
Um, there are an infinite number of possibilities of reasons that you may need this data. Um, and it's also just smart to be a business owner who understands your industry. It's not just about like, oh, I need it to get the funding, but it's a smart way to run your business, to know what's happening throughout the country, throughout the globe. Hopefully we'll get more of that international data coming in, but mm-hmm. um, it's just smart to keep doing it. Um, create a little post-it note or a Google reminder or something and tell yourself what the answers were so that you can keep saying the same thing every year. Um, but with the new questions coming in, um, that's stuff that hasn't been asked before. So there is new information that um, can also help you to make those right. decisions You know, whenever things come up. So mm-hmm. I'll step off my soapbox. That was a great soapbox. Keep Thank answering. you. Thank you for that, Kim. Yes. Uh, yeah. One other final thing before we go, Juliet. How expensive is it to get all this information, to get this report? Uh, where do we go to get it, and how much do you guys charge? It's completely free. What? And <laughs> yeah. Um, we give this out to the industry strictly at our own expense because we are the only ones that are collecting it. And we see the inherent value, and it's, you know, a rising tide raises all ships. Awesome. So... Um, you can get that directly from floatpinksolutions.com slash reports, and um, you can check out there. Also, uh, at the time of this airing, uh, a few days after it, I believe, on October 24th, we'll be doing a online training to sort of go deep dive with me and Graham uh, through the report so people can ask us questions directly at the next Fishy E3. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Yay, thank you so much. Juliet, thank you so much for being on the show tonight and also for everything that you've done to well, for the industry and specifically for this report because, my God, it's, there's a lot in there, and I, I cannot imagine sifting through all that data. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank, thank you for joining you. us tonight. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for having me. Before we go, I want to say a few other thanks. Thanks to Kim for taking live show notes. Always appreciated and for joining us on the pod. Thanks to Drew for being here. And, of course, again, our guest, Juliet, thank you. I also want to thank everybody for listening. It means so much to see that people are showing up with their ears <laughs> and, and listening and want to want to hear from us and, and are hopefully gaining value from what we have to share. It means a lot to us. I want to thank our patrons for supporting us, putting wind in our sails. We are partially funded by our patrons. It means a lot. We also do um, we offer float photography for people who want to supplement their own photography uh, for their social media, website, emails, all that stuff. Uh, in supporting us, you also get a little little more something back for yourselves. And also want to give a shout out to FloatAway. Uh, FloatAway, run by Ginny and Colin, making the beautiful Tranquility float tanks. The float arounds that are used in LIBER, both the open and closed tanks, are, are used at LIBER. And um, honestly, just provide an incredible experience floating these, these large circular float tanks. They now, as I've mentioned before, have a space within the U.S., so they're actually able to do installations quicker, get to repairs quicker. I've never personally had a lot of issue with getting uh, response times for uh, fixing any issues with my tanks, but it's only going to get better because there's not going to be a time zone change. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Floataway.com is where you want to go if you're interested. And beyond that, uh, as always, uh, love one another. Thank you.